intangible assets make up about 90% of the S&P 500 market valuation. That has grown from only 15%. So it went from 15% in 1975 to 90% in 2020. So the vast majority of what makes companies valuable are their intangible assets. And humans and people are considered intangible assets for the organization. The topics and opinions expressed in the following show are solely those of the hosts and their guests and not those of W4CY Radio, its employees or affiliates. We make no recommendations or endorsements for radio show programs, services or products mentioned on air or on our web. No liability explicit or implied shall be extended to W4CY Radio or its employees or affiliates. Any questions or comments should be directed to those show hosts. Thank you for choosing W4CY Radio. Welcome back, everyone, to the Geeks, Geezers, and Googleization Show, the home of Googleization Nation, where we talk with HR and business thought leaders about the crazy shift going on in the world of business, technology, and HR. Here's your host, Ira Wolf, and co-host, Joyce Joya. Hello, Googleization Nation, and welcome to another episode of Geek Skeezers and Googleization with my co-host Joyce Joya today again. So, great to be here. Joyce, yeah. uh, we've had, we, we've got some great guests today. One is for years and years and years, we've been hearing about people are our most important asset. Companies claim that, they got it on their posters, they've got it in the brochures, they got it on their marketing plans, but there's really no meat. Uh, it sort of was just the words on a poster, the words on a wall, the words on some paper, but they didn't walk the talk. So until recently, uh, SEC, which is mostly for publicly traded companies, but it has a down, it's going to have a, a huge effect all the way down. We're going to be talking about Doc with uh, Salon Shara, whose company HC Moneyball met Solange about a year ago, had multiple conversations, introduced her to a few groups. She's And she's in her heyday. She talked about she was ahead of her time, and it's true. She's been talking about human, the valuing human capital management for years, and uh, it's it's coming to being. So we're going to be talking about with her and also with Debbie Levitt. Debbie has a company called Delta CX, also one called P-Type, but the Delta CX, I met Debbie a few years ago in another group, and she really trans, she, she really enlightened me as well on the importance of candidate experience, but not just things you do. Ah. We're talking about user experience. We're talking about the technology, the design, right. the colors. And, you know, I, I, I almost, I, I put this, I said this to a few people that HR doesn't know how to spell CX and UX. <laughs> and I think, I, sadly, I think that might be true. And it wasn't important, but so many times we talked about UX and CX and now like the talent board, we talked with Kevin Grossman, you know, a few weeks sure. ago, I mean, they're making CX, which is candidate experience, the same as uh, customer experience, but again, not paying attention to it. From their side, they are from from a user experience from the from the employer side. They were looking at the user experience, but not necessarily from the candidate. So we'll be talking with Debbie, and she's she's got a, a new course uh, that she's offering for free. Yes, people a video course candidate. even. Yeah, online. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. So Joyce, again, we say this every week, and I want to make sure <laughs> that we move through the the headlines and the updates pretty quickly. But just this week, the hiring numbers came out. And they were disappointed. Yeah. They were way down. 
But two other reports, I think it just came out yesterday, maybe the day before, the job openings hit a record. Hey, we are going back to normal. Going back to normal is for all the talent, the recruiters and the companies that were struggling to hire people in 2018 and 2019 because they couldn't find enough people. We didn't always go back to normal. We exceeded it. We're first, I think the highest number of job openings uh, ever was in the fall of 2018. Right. And we blew by that by about 500,000. And uh, so it's getting tougher, despite the fact that companies slowed the rate of hiring, they're still not finding the people. That's what that's saying. There's lots of job openings, but but we're not finding the people. Well, maybe it's a combination of the fact that the the jobs that are being offered aren't being marketed correctly. Well, there's a lot of reasons. And, <laughs> I know a lot right. of people are blaming the stimulus checks. And, well, and, that's true. You know, I, I, there's a lot of different factors, but overall, there's a lot of job openings, which means people are at least posting those again. And you know, unemployment ticked up a little bit, but companies are still complaining. I, I took three pictures over the last week, mostly restaurants or retail, where there was a sign <laughs> that said, we've cut back our hours because we can't find enough people. people. 24-hour McDonald's the other night, we were in Florida, drove through it. They said, we're closing in 20 minutes. It's a 24-hour McDonald's closing at midnight, the 6th, if they can't find enough staff. Diner down the street closes now, 24-hour diner closes three days a week that they're not open all, all night because they can't find the staff. So again, there's... Lots to talk about in things. One last thing before we jump, or one last thing, one thing before we jump in. I've got the adapt my adaptability webinar next week. Right, uh, on the 20th, right? Yeah, the 20th, February, Thursday. Uh, February, where did I come up with that? May 20th. <laughs> May 20th, Thursday, yeah, right. 1 p.m. We're going to be talking about how Eastern. to grow and thrive in an FCDD world, an effed up world, which is, fr- which is by the way, FCDD, came from our second guest today, Debbie Levitt. She was the one that introduced me to that. Frustrating, confusing, disappointing, and distracting. Uh, So we're going to be talking about that. It's free. Uh, So the link is displayed on the screen. Hopefully that you'll be able to join us. For those who are listening, after is on the podcast, uh, you can go to bit.ly forward slash AQAI520. That's bit.ly forward slash AQAI520. Joyce, anything on your end? Exciting? Oh, well, you know, this this pipeline thing, this another, yeah, another <laughs> this ransomware pipeline disruption is is creating havoc in the industry that I'm going to be presenting to next week. Oh, timely. So, timely. Yeah, we talk about VUCA. I mean, everybody says, oh, we can't wait to go back to normal. Well, this is part of the normal. Talking exactly. It's exactly what I've talked about. We're going north forward where it's an evolution of normal you next call it wave of normal next wave right. of normal yeah, exactly so let's without other without further ado without haste let's bring on solange, solange dr solange shara her company is hc moneyball plus she's got a a pretty uh ex- inter- very interesting history uh, she talks about being an alien in hr so welcome <laughs> <laughs> welcome solange. welcome solange you Hi. know you talk about the and and we've talk, just talked about recently the fact that the the largest asset that organizations have the largest single item expense too is what people right exactly 
No, well, you, you talk about the fact that there's a tsunami of human capital coming that you believe is coming. So what do you think that means for HR? Well, a lot of big change afoot. So first, I just want to say hi, Ira and Joyce, and thank you for having me on. I really appreciate it. And thank you for acknowledging that I've been doing this work for 20 some odd years, because I really am a geek and a geezer. I'm not so sure you can put me in the Googleization category, although I Google all day long, so maybe I am. But I have been doing this work for an awfully long time, and both from the outside as a consultant, helping organizations, and from the inside, being the Chief Human Resources Officer. So I really have a good handle on the landscape and the challenges that companies are facing today. And you're absolutely right. For most organizations in our service-based economy, the single largest line item expense that a company has, incurs, is going to be around people. And for many years, most of the financial community and most of the management community thought of that line item expense as an expense, right? This is how much we spend on people and it's a sunk cost and we can't do much about it. And the thinking is now beginning to change. And the reason that it's changing is a couple of things. One is research by Ocean Tomo that shows that intangible assets make up about 90% of the S&P 500 market valuation. That has grown from only 15%. So it went from 15% in 1975 to 90% in 2020. So the vast majority of what makes companies valuable are their intangible assets. And humans and people are considered intangible assets for the organization. So we've got an economic reason to think about it, and we've got an operating reason to think about it. Because if you if you do think about it, if you're spending the most the most of your expenses, the vast majority of your expenses on people, and you're not measuring whether or not you're getting a return on that spend. You are not being a good business person. Think about it in your own terms. If most of your income is going to support your house and you are not making sure that your house is waterproof or that you've got mold in it, you're not taking care of your most important asset, it's going to crumble around you and the value of your home is going to depreciate. So... It just makes good business sense to think about people as an investment instead of as purely an expense. And I'm not the only one that's saying this. This is what the SEC is now saying. Right. Can we get to the, uh, you, you brought a slide. Roxy, would you put that slide up for us, please? Thanks. So talk a little bit about this for us, please. So Yeah, so, so you see that, that little tsunami there, that, that I guess it's not little, it's the big tsunami, <laughs> is, is really this concept of human capital and how do we deploy human capital? How do we attract human capital? How do we retain human capital? How do we optimize what we're spending on people to make sure that our companies are sustainable and address the, the needs or the, the new purpose of the corporation, the five constituents of the new purpose of the corporation. And this 
tsunami is about to crash down on existing business models or existing ways of doing business. It's going to change how disclosures are made and how environmental social governance is thought about. So that's that second little wave. And the third little wave is it's going to crash down on investors. And when I say investors, I don't necessarily just mean outside investors. I mean inside investors, how we inside of organizations are investing in our human capital. So it's sort of like a little play on a concept there. And with apologies to Hokusai, right? Yes. <laughs> Hokusai is the artist who who, uh, who painted the wave, that famous, beautiful Japanese wave. Exactly. So, Solange, how do we square? I mean, when I hear this, and, and I, I can imagine what's going through the minds of a lot of HR people, is how do we square quantifying human capital with empathy and compassion and treating people as human beings and not just widgets and robots? Because that's sort of going back to the Frederick, the Frederick Taylor, you know, model and and Slode's model. You know, people let, let's just robotize human beings and and yeah. and convert them we, we converted humans into robots <laughs> and you know so how does this square with that yeah i'm happy you brought that up because you've you've made an underlying assumption you've basically said that using data analytics to inform our hr decisions is what we should be doing right and you're absolutely right it is what we should be doing and in a second i'll I'll give you some indication of how we've proven that out with our own research. The second assumption that you've made is that using human capital analytics is really a pathway to dehumanizing human capital, dehumanizing the people part of the organization. And that's the big argument, right? That's the big pushback is, no, I don't want to use data analytics because when I use that to inform my decisions, I'm basically dehumanizing my workforce. I'm treating them like robots. We would argue, and I'm saying we because I'm writing a book on this topic with with a co-author, Stella Lepushores, I'm giving her a shout out. We would argue that using human capital analytics is actually the opposite of dehumanizing the workforce. It's actually a way of understanding what's going to benefit the majority of the employees. So in our processes today, we usually take care of the squeaky wheel, right? And the squeaky wheel takes the attention away from the, from the majority of the other employees who are not squeaky wheels. And what data analytics does is it helps you really understand if the squeaky wheel should be paid attention to, and the needs and wants and desires of everyone else in the organization that's not the squeaky wheel. So you're actually making decisions that benefit more people in the organization than just the one that's raising their hand and you know, making noise. That's the first thing, is that we can use data analytics to actually make better decisions that raise all employees. And I, here's, here's my geek, right? What does Fox say? The needs of the many is greater than the needs of the one. And when we use data analytics, we actually understand the needs of the many. So that's the first thing. The second thing is 
we just completed, again, Stella Lepushore and I working with the conference board. So we're both researchers at the conference board, just completed a 18 month study on how organizations use human capital analytics. And the big headline is, actually there are two headlines. The big, the big, big headline is that organizations that have dedicated human capital analytics functions within their HR area are actually outperforming organizations that don't use data analytics in their HR functions by three times efficiency. So we we use a measure called HCROI, Human Capital Return on Investment. And it is a very easy thing to calculate that doesn't require that you have a degree in statistics or even a degree in math. It's out there in the public domain. So if you Google, here's Googleization. If you Google HCROI formula, you can find it. And any organization can calculate their HCROI, their human capital return on investment. And in fact, here's a little plug and my guys are going to be happy. We actually have an HCROI calculator. So if you go to our website and you search for HCROI calculator, all you have to do is input like four different values and it'll instantly calculate your HCROI and it'll show you how you can improve your HCROI and your profitability performance with small improvements in human capital efficiency. So go and look for it, plug in the numbers, you can measure your own HCROI. That's fantastic. So you talked about business models that are needing to change. Can you talk a little bit about that? How you see that happening? Because I agree, I see that happening already. Yeah. So I'm so I'm so happy that you mentioned this increase in the number of job postings, because I was actually going to bring it up (laughs) and say that not only have we gone back to pre-COVID, we've gone beyond our pre-COVID level. In fact, what the research what the survey says or what the research says is that our job postings this month in March, Mm -hmm. so a couple of months ago, was 24% Mm -hmm. higher than it was February of 2020. So one year after COVID, not only have we recovered, but now organizations are trying to fill those jobs at even a faster rate. That's for you know, all jobs in general, what they found is that manufacturing job postings are up 65%, right? And stock postings are up 24% or 16, something like that. It's, it's a phenomenal number. Companies are hungry for talent, right? right? And one of the things that I think when we talk about the business model changing is that organizations are going to have to embrace this concept of an employee-centric business model. Right now, most most business models are customer-centric, consumer-centric. So they actually look at the consumer to figure out what the consumer wants, and then they back up to figure out what their business model should look like. Right? Right. Prior to that, we had a technology-focused business model. So we looked at technology, And then we backed our business model into how can we use technology to improve our business operations? Right. And make more money. And make more money. Before that, I mean, I'm going back to like the industrial revolution where we looked at manufacturing. Mm -hmm. So how do we organize ourselves to manufacture? 
So right now we're in a consumer focused business model era and that's shifting. And we're going to be shifting to an employee centric business model. What does that mean? That means that the most important thing in our business model is going to be labor and how we attract, retain, and motivate. So the ARM, that hasn't changed. We're still working under that you know, model. We have to attract people, we have to retain them, and we have to motivate them. And right. in prior models, the human capital approach was around standardization, right? One employee handbook, one set of policies that all employees have to live under and live with. Right. Right. We've got five generations in our workforce today. I'm a baby boomer. My needs are completely different than the Gen Zers. And for organizations to achieve diversity, right? To achieve their social, you know, their social agenda in terms of doing right by their communities and by their employees. We right. have social responsibility, right? Exactly. We do have to be diverse. But how can one set of rules satisfy the needs? of people representing five different generations. So <laughs> we have to move away from standardization and we have to move to personalization. We have to figure out as employers how to address the needs of the different segments of our population with rewards, programs, opportunities that are perceived by all employees to be fair. So what you're saying which is something that Ira and I have talked about for years, is that one size does not fit all. Yes. One size doesn't fit all. Right. And and that idea of being employee centric was the premise, a book that I wrote that got published 20 years ago called how to become an employer of choice. And it's that employee employee centricity that is so important and will make a profound difference in the bottom line because when companies take care of their employees their company their employees will take care of the customers and the everybody wins yeah absolutely but here's the big difference 20 years ago we didn't have the kind of technology mm-hmm. right or the kind of kind of analytical approaches that we have today So whereas 20 years ago, it would have been really hard to manage and understand how to personalize programs for the needs of employees. Today, it's possible, it's attainable, and we found that companies that actually do think about this are doing better than companies that are sticking to the old standard one size fits all. So And here's the catch 22, I assume. In order to personalize, you need data. Yes. (laughs) And you need way to think about data, to process data, to understand data, to make connections between human capital performance and enterprise level performance. Because again, every organization is different. I can't tell you, oh, you've got to have the best recruiting program or else you're not going to be successful because that's not necessarily the case for every company. Every company is going to be different. So every company needs to find that special sauce that makes the big map on the block to you. 
reference to McDonald's a little early. <laughs> so what are what are some of the, uh, you know, our audience has a lot of small, medium-sized businesses. And I'm sure there's a, a few publicly traded, but mostly pri- privately owned, small, medium-sized businesses. What are some of the metrics? I mean, we, we can go up and we can calculate the ROI and they go, we need to change something. But what are some of the metrics that, you know, any business should be identifying upfront and, and tracking and monitoring? Yeah, absolutely. It's a great question. So one of the things that I teach my students is, and I teach in the master's program for in human capital management. So they're all HR people. What my biggest message to them is you have to think of HR not as its own function siloed to the side, you know, doing its own thing. You have to think about how human capital is connected to the business, right? And to the results that the business is generating. And I'm going to tie this back to our first concept, which is when you're spending that much on people, you owe it to your organization, to the stakeholders, the shareholders, the investors, the employees, the people that you do business with to make sure that you're optimizing that investment in people. And so I teach my students to not just think about HR programs, but to think to how HR is actually impacting the organization and to think down how HR programs are impacting individuals. So to basically vertically integrate human capital into the business model. And at each one of those levels, there are lots of things that you can measure. So at the enterprise level, you can measure things like HCROI, human capital return on investment. You can measure HCVA, human capital value add. You can calculate HCMV. If you're a public company, HCMV, HEVA, human economic value add. Productivity. So what revenues are per employee. You can look at expense ratio, the expense per capita expenses, per capita income. So you can start understanding the economic value of each employee in terms of their contribution. Then, So that's at the enterprise level. Then at the program level, we do a really good job of looking at KPIs, right? So we've got a performance management program. How many employees are actually participating in performance management. We look at our compensation to see how competitive it is, right? Now we've got to get into this whole area of pay equity to understand whether or not we've got biases in the way that we pay people. But that's that's a different podcast. (laughs) (laughs) There are lots of ways that we can measure the effectiveness of the individual human capital programs that we've got in our organization. And what I like to tell my students is these programs aren't siloed either. What are you doing with recruitment and how does that impact retention? What are you doing in performance management and how does that impact mobility and lateral moves, right? Or career advancement. So these programs touch one another and you can't just look at it in a, in a univariate, a single variable world. You have to look at it multivariately. How do these things connect with one another? So We can measure that as well and understand whether or not our programs are actually doing what we expect them to do, right? Novel idea. (laughs) Solange, you had recently, you were quoted in the NASD, what was it? NACD, the National Directors. Yeah, so, you know, thrilled to be included in that publication, especially since the board world is really 
my domain space. That's what my PhD is in. And I've served as a public company board director for a couple of companies. So I'm thrilled to be in that in that domain space and to make an impact. It's really important. You know, the second little wave of the tsunami was around ESG right. disclosures. And this is a board issue. And boards that are not understanding the economic indicators of human capital as drivers of value creation for their stakeholders are, are missing the boat, right? They, they've got to, they can't just, they can't dedicate a full day to financial review and 10 minutes to HR review. Right. It doesn't make sense, right? Yeah. I'm they, fond of saying it's like shooting themselves in the foot. Yes, but they don't even know that it hurt. <laughs> <laughs> right. It's, and, it's the pain that shows up days later, right? <laughs> yeah. But now, you know, so here's the other thing. The reason that this is getting so much attention, like this big tsunami, is because the SEC is saying if human capital is material, you need to disclose it. Now, how do you define materiality? We can spend a whole podcast on that. But those rules were written under Jay Clayton, who is a principle-based guy. He was the chairman of the SEC. The new chairman of the SEC is a guy named Gary Gensler. Mr. Gensler is not a fan of principles-based. He's a fan of rules-based. Right now, <laughs> the, the disclosure requirement says, if the organization determines that human capital is material, then they need to disclose. So it's Principles-based. Does it make an impact or not if it does disclose? The rules base says, doesn't make any difference if it's principles-based. We want you to disclose these metrics regardless. So the community that's following this, that has a dog in the race on this disclosure, we're hopeful, we're optimistic that Mr. Gensler is going to transform the rule from a principles-based, disclose if you think it's material, to a rules-based like Sarbanes-Oxley or Dodd-Frank, that it doesn't make any difference if you think it's important. Your investors need to know what these metrics are. And boards need to start paying attention to this because they have a chance now to understand their metrics and to take action to make those metrics look better before they have to start disclosing them to the investor community. Solange, I say this every week. We're <laughs> going to change the name of our show to we're just getting started. <laughs> and uh, we are just getting started, but we are right. at the end of your segment. Definitely want to get you back. And I've heard, and we've had a conversation and, and I've participated in it, especially about diversity, inclusion, pay biases. You taught me so much from our first intros a year ago when we had some conversations about what to look for and how data with without without data without some of, of what you're talking about it's it's just not going to happen it, it's just not going to happen so we'd love to have you back across the screen is hcmoneyball.com you can reach Solange there i believe the roi is is the calculator is up there is that correct if you go on to hcmoneyball.com you'll be able to get to the calculator okay and if they want to if someone wants to reach you directly What's the best way? They can write to me at shara at hcmoneyball.com. That's easy enough. Or they can look me up on LinkedIn and invite me to connect. 
Wonderful. It's always great to see you, Solange. I really appreciate it. Thanks very much. And uh, we'll definitely get you back. Thank you, Solange. It It was fascinating. Thank you. Thanks. Bye. Amazing. As I said, we're going to change the show. I think it's going to be... We're, we're just, just getting started. We're just right? getting started. And uh, we do. We want to be, we're, we're going to take a quick commercial break. Uh, we're going to hear from our two sponsors, Ingomu and Success Performance Solutions. And Ingomu has a big announcement coming up in two weeks. Is that right, Joyce? Yeah. The 25th of May. Yes. Yeah. So the new, the app will be out and uh, we'll be talking a little bit more about that right now. We're going to hear from them. Stay tuned. We will be right back and we're going to have our next guest, which is Debbie Levitt. We're going to talking, being talking about CX and UX. Imagine growing great employees and advancing emerging leaders for less than a dollar a day. The Ngomu app will support your employees in a myriad of ways, from career and personal development to health and wellness. No need to schedule and hold trainings. Just have them access over 90 coaches for live virtual group and one-on-one coaching for whatever topic they need or want to work on. Anytime, anywhere. Learn more at Ngomu.com today. For many people, the bridge to the new normal is too far, too difficult, too scary. Waiting to get back to normal becomes a way of life, filled with fear and despair. But wait, why are those people who dare to travel to the new normal celebrating? Opportunity and growth? How can you get a piece of the action? The bridge between the past and the future, the status quo and the new normal is adaptability. You have a choice. Which side of the future do you want to land on? Will it be coping and surviving or growing and thriving? Adaptability Quotient is the new competitive edge. Hey, welcome back, everyone, to Geek Speezers and Googleization. If you're not a member subscriber of Googleization Nation, please do so. You go to googleizationnation.com. And also, following up on the adaptability theme, we'll be having our, our webinar next Thursday, May 20th at 1 p.m. Eastern Time. Uh, you should go to bit.live forward slash HQAI520. The link uh, will run that. There it is. Bit.live, bit.live forward slash HQAI520. And for Ingomu sponsorship, I wanted just to mention that on the 25th of May, it will be 11 o'clock Eastern that it will start. And it's going to give people a taste of what Ngomu coaching is all about. And one of the teams that's that may make a, an appearance in that launch is Bill Jensen and myself. Oh, so. wonderful. Again, and Bill's a good fr- a mutual friend, and uh, he's been a guest of the show in uh, just a few weeks ago. So that's wonderful. Uh, and, but today, right now, we've got Debbie Levin, a good friend of mine, met Debbie three, four years ago. She introduced me for anybody who follows me. Know we talk about the FCDD, frustrating, confused, uh, confusing, disappointing, distraction. All I this love that. Time. That's great. Yeah. Yeah, and I've been having a ball with it. So we want to welcome Debbie Levitt from Delta CX. And there's Debbie all the way from Italy. So. Thank you. And these are the four horsemen of bad CX and UX. Frustration, <laughs> confusion, disappointment, and distraction. My registered trademark. Joyce, great to meet you. And Ira, good to see you again. Hope you're well. Yeah, for Thank sure. You. Great to meet you too, Debbie. So I know you, you were listening to at the tail end that we were talking about, you know, one of the factors we were talking about all the analytics and data, but certainly overlooked in all this. 
and it still is, is CX and UX. So first, give a, I, I want you to give a brief definition for that, because I said, I'm not sure HR, I'm not sure a lot of people could could, could spell UX, <laughs> you know, for, for that intents and purposes. But you've just, you know, I know this is your passion and you just, uh, you're so passionate, you did a 50 video course to wow. try to change people's perspective of, of the importance about, about this, especially in talent acquisition and especially how to hire people that that understand CX and UX. So let's start with UX and CX and then we'll right. dive into what, what it's about. Yeah, we'll talk about the free training in a moment. So CX and UX are customer experience and user experience. And basically, these are the people at your company that are supposed to be making things user-friendly. Typically, they're people who have studied some cognitive psychology and human behavior. They're not necessarily artists, but they are the people who are going to usually research with customers and do architecture. And usually you think of them as designers, though not all of us are designers. Some of us are more researchers and hopefully some testing of the idea before engineers and programmers and the technical people piece it together and get it out to the public. So a lot of times people don't even know who at their company makes something user-friendly and make sure that something was really created for user needs, but that is a specialized job. But at almost every company I've ever heard of in my life, that job is not well-created, not well-described, culture is a mess. We are flight risks as soon as we show up. And so I figured, you know, what's really missing here is some training because I think a lot of companies just don't, don't even understand what we do. So they don't know how to assess the candidates. If I said, Ira, you need to assess a DevOps specialist who will deploy a Kubernetes cluster. You'd be like, I don't know how to assess if that person can do that or not, but maybe I'll send them a personality test. But the problem is that People don't even know how to assess us. So there's problems at pretty much every stage of the hiring and retention. Wow. So is that what the course is about? How to how to help the HR professionals and small business people or small and medium-sized business people who might be hiring CX and UX folks to Oh, it's for everybody. The Fortune 10 could use it. Their jobs aren't going right either. I know plenty of people who wish they could get away from some of these companies and find something else. So it's for everyone of every size who thinks that they might need somebody at their company who's going to kind of shepherd that user friendliness and that usability. And so the it's totally free. I don't even put you on a mailing list. It's a, a it's 8 hours of content split into 50 videos. You don't even have to watch them in order. And basically, it's all about understanding CX and UX and how to write better job descriptions, how to understand why we're typically flight risks, what is going wrong in these organizations that we don't want to join and we don't want to stay, and how to create better jobs so that not only are you attracting and retaining talent, but you're, you're, going, to, you're going to increase customer satisfaction. If you can bring in the right people to make your websites, apps, systems, and services is better, you're, you're probably going to end up more profitable. Like it's kind of a no-lose situation, but unfortunately right now, I mean, we have people who have master's degrees in research and they're being asked to show their ability to draw. Oh. <laughs> and we're like, hey, wow, somebody really doesn't understand what you do all day. If they want to see your art portfolio, that shouldn't even be an, a part of the assessment. 
So, right. so yeah, I want to drive everybody towards, uh, I have a website that I call the Delta CX Academy, which is Delta CX dot academy that's a web address by the way you can just type that right in and that's going to take you to all of my online courses and uh just look for attracting and retaining cx and ux talent and i just got an email from how do you pronounce these guys shrm i always want to say shroom but i know that's not right Sherm just accepted me as a recertification provider and I have applied for this course to, to have credits. And so, and because it is eight hours of content, it might possibly qualify for eight credits. So that, that is not certified yet, but I'm really hoping in the coming weeks that it will be accepted. But even if it's not, you should still take it because if you are HR recruiter, sourcer, talent agent, or hiring manager, this information can only help you. So, so go ahead. So Debbie, I mean, I, we, we've been working together for, for a bit and, and, and I'm, I'm a novice at this, but I'm st- I, I get the, the general idea. But I, I'm also standing in the shoes of, you know, clients, manufacturer, distributor, retail, healthcare. And they go, what, you know, uh, we, we hire a marketing company that is our CX and UX. So we do this. Why would a company, why would any, you know, every company should have somebody looking at their UX and CX? I think you just answered it. You know, hiring, no offense to the marketing companies out there who are are generally quite capable and talented, but hiring a marketing company to do your CX and UX is like asking your dentist to check this weird thing on your foot. And so in, in reality, no, no offense to the dentists on the show. Yeah, but the I didn't reality, take any offense. Right. And, and so, the, the, so the, the problem is that, you know, we all have specializations. That's a beautiful thing. And I always recommend that people and companies play to those specializations. You are going to get so much better outcomes and customer satisfaction and worker morale by working with a CX or UX specialist utilized correctly than you are by asking marketing to guess at our stuff. No offense to marketing. There's a lot of important things that they they do that we're bad at. But when it comes to CX and UX, it really is a specialization. But unfortunately, it's such a misunderstood specialization that I thought it needed some training. So even if, even if you don't need a full-time CX UX person, there should be somebody on your team or in the organization that is well versed in in that. Am I am I correct? I mean, sort of a that leading question help. for you. But. Yeah, I mean, well, it sounds right, but many companies don't do that. And even really, the real starting point is even if you get the feeling, you know, say you're healthcare. Hey, we find a lot of people dropping off our website before they you know, book an appointment with our doctor or, Hey, we find people send customer service, the same questions over and over what's going wrong here. The great thing about qualified and talented CX and UX practitioners is we don't have, you don't have to tell us what the problem is because we typically start with research. We're going to learn what the problem is. And so we're really for everybody, but even if you are the type of organization who doesn't keep those people on staff or even anybody who understands what we do, you can still reach 
out to freelancers or agencies or outside people, but my training will help you know how to assess them and how to communicate to them what you're looking for. Because again, too many people think that this job is just artsy fartsy, but again, many of us have some training in, or, or, some, or more than some training in psychology. This is about understanding human behavior so well and of course, researching with people and watching them do things and and being able to be those problem finders before we're problem solvers. Right. You know, this sounds like a precursor to the CEXO that I talk about in my new book, Debbie, the chief experience officer. And what a great place for a person to start in an organization to learn all about CX and UX, Right. Yeah, the CXO job already exists. And so there are some people out there who are already CXOs. And hypothetically, that would be a branch in the organization that is not answering to any other that would just be focused on the CX and UX elements. Marketing can have their CMO and finance can have their CFO. But who do we, sometimes we end up under engineering, but we're not engineers. So so this is really a mistake. So ultimately, and, and my training covers that as well. Where do we belong in the organization? I cover how many years of experience should our managers and leaders have? There is really a huge breadth of stuff that's covered. And and so ultimately, if a company is thinking about moving into having CX and UX practitioners, this training is for you. If you have them, but you notice they keep walking out the door, this training is for you. If you have them, but you get the feeling they're artists who like to draw pictures, this training is for you. There's really something in there for for everybody because I know people are coming at it with different questions, concerns, and confusions about what the heck we do and why can't anybody do it? So I mean, even as we prepare for what our future, whatever our future is going to be, you know, whether it's a career, I mean, we talk about the the the, the four horsemen. We talk about, you know, what's frustrating, confusing, distracting, and often disappointing as we approach the, uh, <laughs> as we approach the future. <laughs> Again, it, it's it's about the experience. And there, when you think about it, you know, we often think, oh, it's about a form or it's about the technology or it's about how somebody accesses something. But it's much broader than that. And you're absolutely right to think of how you would assess someone, even if it's part of their job, part of their responsibility. You know, how do how do we identify that they're that they're are they a researcher or a designer? as you've pointed out so eloquently. Debbie, we are almost at the end. As I said, we're just we're just getting started. I know, Again. Couple minutes. What, can I, what can I tell you about other than reminding everybody the training's totally free. I'm just trying to make my industry better and I'm trying to make your workplace better because you probably don't understand what we do. And so this is just an opportunity for you to have all those questions answered. And if you thought you knew what CX and UX was, then you're, you're brushing up and, and you're seeing if, if what you thought was accurate and updated, because again, there's a lot of misunderstandings. For example, I don't, I don't believe in design thinking. I think design thinking is a, a fake thing. And so, there, yeah, so design thinking is not a thing and it's a trend and it needs to go away as soon as possible because it's another thing that makes people think, oh, if that's what UX is, anybody can do it. And that's not the case. We really are specialized and and you're getting it wrong if you're not hiring specialists. You need you need low ego action heroes, not thinkers. <laughs> so. And who is this 
young this person. is my mascot my low ego action hero <laughs> <laughs> from my delta cx youtube channel well thank you so much debbie this has yeah. really been fascinating Debbie, it's always good to see you i appreciate it i'm glad we were able to get you on and, and introduce this we're gonna i'm certainly gonna be, we'll push it out we'll be able to do it through the uh through this podcast and uh, i'm gonna definitely encourage hr uh, to be looking at it but also again i think cx and ux whether it's it's a part-time role whether it's a, a responsibility or whether they they're hiring freelancers it, it needs to be part of, of of this whole experience so yeah. thank you for introducing me to that and thank you for allowing me thank to talk about so the forum. <laughs> yeah thanks everybody and okay. and again safe. if anyone has any questions find me and email me i'm happy to help delta thank cx you, academy as well Thanks, everybody. Bye-bye. Interesting show. Interesting <laughs> show, yeah. It, you know, I I, I was going to share this with Solange and then with Debbie, and we just didn't have time. But this morning, I mean, I'm, I'm working with a client, one of, one of my clients, uh-huh. and I've been trying, we've been analyzing the data. So we're doing the right stuff. They have thousands and they have like 100,000 assessments that they've completed. And when oh. I take it back, and, and I keep asking them year after year of let's look at it, see what some of the trends are. How can we help this make it better? So we finally had an appointment a couple of weeks ago. We did that. We looked at the data. We found a couple cues. We went back to them and said, boy, if we had these, this information or that information, we can even make it tighter and better. Got an email this morning. Can we postpone this a few weeks because we don't have the time. We're going to wait for it to slow down. Boy. And we do have data that we have a cutoff <laughs> that if they would not hire people below a certain range, that they could cut their turnover somewhere between oh. 25 and 50%. Really? And they don't have time to meet because they're so busy and they're waiting for things to slow down, which I, I don't know in anybody's right mind because they're talking about the, every, every economist I've seen talks about the economy continuing to grow and boom through 2023. Yeah, there's not going to be a slowdown between now and whenever, <laughs> right, truly. Right, for the next few years. So so again, we've had two great topics that were uh, two great speakers with Solange Shira talking about data, human, valuing, human capital. value right. human capital management. Right in capital and then debbie talking about user experience and customer experience candidate experience actually. yeah and candidate. i thought it was customer when i first saw it but well, it's it is candidate. she refers it to customer i refer to it as candidate. Okay. Tool. yeah but we again are at the end of our show We've, we're probably a few few seconds over there uh we appreciate everybody being here thank you for being part of googleization nation if you're not part of it yet please do so you can formally do that by subscribing to googleizationnation.com it's free you'll get updates each week about upcoming events upcoming shows we got our webinar coming up in may keep saying february may 20th 1 p.m eastern daylight time bit.live forward slash AQAI520. You can sign up for that. That's free. And, and also 25th of May, people can sign up for the launch in gomu.com. Yep. And if you go to the Ngomu website, you will probably find uh, the place where you can sign up. And Joyce, I, right before we went on the air, I saw I got my newsletter, humantrendalert.com. Human trend alert. <laughs> Yeah, urban okay. trend alert. Or it could be human. Yeah, alert. and this week uh, I talked about COVID nineteen and sleep. And sleep, yeah, no, that's what caught my attention with sleep. So again, <laughs> so thank you very much, everyone. Thanks for being, yeah, thanks for being part of Googleization Nation. Until next thanks, week's uh, show, don't let the shift hit your plan. Bye bye.